You are listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Well, today we are wrapping up a series that we've been in for the past few weeks called He Gets Us. And I hope you've enjoyed this series. I really enjoyed preaching it because I love this idea that God is not just a God up there somewhere, an unknowable God, but he's a God who has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He's a God who's come near. Come on, a God who's come in flesh and blood. He gets us because he's been one of us. Aren't you thankful for a God that can relate to you, that understands what it is to have a bad day, (laughs) that understands what it is to, to be hurt, to be hungry, to be tired? Like, that's who Jesus is. He gets us. He's the God who came near to us. And today, I want to talk to you about the opportunity of a lifetime. I want to talk to you about the opportunity to follow Jesus, to answer the call to follow Jesus. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever missed out on an opportunity that you still regret to this day? Like maybe some of you guys, when you were younger, there was a girl that you wanted to ask out, but you chickened out and you never asked her out and you still regret it. Now, if you're sitting next to your wife, don't raise your hand, okay? That's not good. You're going to be in trouble if you raise your hand. How many of you, you know, regret certain investments that you missed out on? Like, how many of you wish you would have bought a lot of stock in Apple, like, years ago? (laughs) Are you with me? Like, your vacation might be a little bit better this summer had you done that. Or maybe it was an internship or a job opportunity or a chance to travel, and you missed out on that opportunity, and you still regret it. Today, I want to look at the story of a man, uh, and it's really one of the, the saddest stories, one of the most heartbreaking stories in all of Scripture. It's the story of a man who missed out on the opportunity of a lifetime, the opportunity to follow Jesus. And it's a story from the Gospels known as the rich young ruler, the story of the rich young ruler. Now, let me give you a little context. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark chapter 10 in just a moment. This story is rec- recorded in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels, but we're going to look at it from Mark chapter 10. Let me just tell you what's going on here. Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem for his final Passover. He's going to go to the cross, and so he's nearing the finish line of his ministry here on earth. But at this point in time, Jesus has been ministering for three years, and people have heard about him. They've heard about the miracles. They've heard about his teaching. They've heard about the way he's touched people. And so Jesus has quite a reputation. And evidently, This young man has heard about Jesus and he seeks him out and they have a really fascinating encounter. And we're going to look at it in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. Are you ready? Here's what Mark says. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a really good question, isn't it? Look at this, verse 18. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not murder. You should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. You should not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Look at verse 21. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Wow. To me, this is one of the most heartbreaking stories in all of Scripture. Here's a guy who 
sincerely seeks out Jesus and he misses the opportunity of a lifetime. Verse 17 says, a man ran up to him. Now, Matthew's gospel tells us that he was young. Luke adds to that that he was a ruler. We don't know what kind of ruler he was. Perhaps he was some kind of ruler in the synagogue, but we put all three together and he's known as the rich, young ruler. And I picture this guy as a really good looking like Hollywood actor or politician who rolls up next to Jesus in his Mercedes convertible and he's like, how you doing? (laughs) How you doing, Jesus? (laughs) But actually, he's kind of humbler than that. Now, here's the deal. The gospel writers tell us these details about the rich young ruler for a reason. This is more than just about his status or how much money he had in the bank or how connected he was. This description is loaded with meaning. We're reading a story that is thoroughly set in a Jewish context here. And so the rich young ruler's status, his outward appearance, the garments he would have worn, his wealth, these were all evidence, not just of how much money he had or how connected he was, but they were evidence that he was blessed that he was favored, that he was one whom God considered a true son of Israel. He would have been esteemed and respected in his culture. Like he had divine favor on his life. There weren't a lot of wealthy people back then. So for this guy to be doing as good as he was doing, in this culture, in the Jewish mindset, this was evidence that God's hand was upon him. And verse 17 tells us, he fell on his knees and addressed Jesus as good teacher. I think he was sincere. He sincerely seeks Jesus out. He had heard about Jesus. He had heard about this miracle worker, this teacher, this great rabbi, this prophet, and he respects Jesus and seeks him out. And he, and he asks this question of him in verse 18. He says, well, he asks, how do I inherit eternal life? And here's the interesting thing. Jesus' first response in verse 18 is this. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, Jesus knows exactly who he is. He knows he's the son of God, but he begins to turn this man's attention to the father, the source of all goodness. He's subtly communicating to this young man that the path to eternal life is paved by grace. And the only way you enter it is by recognizing that you can never be good enough. Nobody's good. Why do you call me good? Do you even know who you're talking to? And he begins to point him to the father, the source of all goodness. And in verse 17, This man asked the million-dollar question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is the question, right? Now, he wasn't simply asking, how can I get into heaven? Once again, this is a very Jewish context, okay? In the Jewish mindset, there was only two real thoughts about the afterlife. There was the age, the present age, and the age to come. The present age was the age they were living in, and the age to come represented the day when God was going to come and fully establish his earth on kingdom, uh, excuse me, establish his kingdom on earth, and and the wicked were going to be judged and punished, and the righteous were going to be vindicated and, and affirmed and rewarded. And so he's saying, how do I know? How do I make sure that when God comes in his kingdom that I'm in, that I'm included, that I am one who turns out to be a true son of Israel? Like, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God? That's important. You have to understand his mindset because it's connected to all the blessing that he had. Do you see it? See, he was striving for eternal life and he sincerely believed that Jesus could help him. Or at least he wanted to make sure that he had some assurance that he hadn't left anything out. Like, okay, I've been, I've been keeping all these commandments, but I want to make sure, did, did I miss anything? Like, Jesus, I, don't want, I want to make sure I didn't miss anything in the fine print. I want to make sure that I've crossed every T, dotted every I. Like, I don't want to miss out when God's kingdom comes. I hear you preaching about the kingdom. If anybody knows it's you, like, have I missed anything? 
And you gotta love Jesus's response to him. Jesus kind of gives a surprising response. He begins listing off the 10 commandments. The guy asks, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And some of us would expect him to say, well, say this prayer and repeat after me. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says, well, what, is the, what do the commandments say? Okay, he's kind of, and, and Jesus is going somewhere with this. He begins to quote some of the 10 commandments. Basically, he gives him a very Jewish answer. He tells him to keep the 10 commandments and he begins to give a few examples. In other words, he says, if you want to live in the kingdom of God when it's fully come, then start living in the present reality of the kingdom of God right now. So many times we tend to think about eternal life as something only in the future. Some of you grew up in churches where the promise of eternal life was something only in the future. Let me just tell you something. When you really get this, that the reality is when you're in Christ, it's about life and life more abundantly. It's about the future invading the present. It's about a quality of life that we're going to experience in the future that comes into the present. You're not just going to be saved. You have been saved. You are being saved and your salvation will be completed. Okay? So Jesus says, start living if you want to be ready for when the king returns, start living like he's in charge right now. <laughs> like fulfill his commandments, live within his will. I love the way the great reformer Martin Luther put it. He said, good works do not make a good man, but a good man does good works. In other words, he wasn't telling this man that your good works are going to save you, but he says, hey, hey, a man who's walking in lockstep with the kingdom of God is going to do good works that reflect that. And the man responds by telling Jesus, I've kept all these commandments ever since I was a boy. He says, Jesus, I, I, had, I had a bar mitzvah. Come on, my parents rented a venue. We got a DJ. We had some music. We all got matching T-shirts. Some of y'all have never had a kid who went to a bar mitzvah before. This is Westchester. Hello. He said, I had a bar mitzvah. Like I committed to, to, to fulfill the commandments. And all of these things I have kept like with religious perfection since I was a child. And Jesus tells him, you still lack one thing. You still lack one thing. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And verse 22 says, at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. He couldn't do the one thing that Jesus asked him to do. Here he was, he, he sought out the great teacher, the great rabbi Jesus, and he couldn't do the one thing that Jesus told him to do. And he missed the greatest opportunity of his life. How many of you know internship with the son of God looks pretty good on your resume? <laughs> and he missed out on the opportunity of a lifetime to follow Jesus. Now, at first glance, I think most of us think we have nothing in common. We have very little in common with the rich, young ruler. Some of y'all are like, rich, young ruler. No, like, oh, for three. <laughs> strike one, strike two, strike three. Like, most of us don't fulfill all of those categories. Some of you single ladies in church are like, I'd like to meet a rich, young ruler. That'd be nice. In church, one of these days. I hate to tell you, not, not many of us fit all three of those descriptors. But I think we actually have more in common with the rich young ruler than we realize. First of all, most of us are striving to be a good person, a decent person to live a good life. I think that's most of us in this room. I think most of us were striving to please God, to know that we're right with God. You probably wouldn't be here today if you didn't have some interest in that. I know maybe somebody invited you here and you're very new to our church, but most of us, there's something, we have curiosity around that. There's some, something in us that wants to, to have a right relationship with God. Um, I, I think most of us want some assurance that we're good with God, that like if we died, we would you know, be in God's presence and go to heaven, that when his kingdom is fully come, we're gonna be in. I think we can identify with, with him when it comes to that. And like the rich young ruler, most of us struggle to do everything that God has asked us to do. 
I think we're actually a lot more like him than we realize. And if that's you today, let me just encourage you today. Jesus gets you. Jesus gets you. Like he understands and he's willing to meet you where you are. He's willing to take the time to spend time with you, just like he spent time with the rich and young ruler. He's willing to hear your questions. Like he will meet you where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. He'll meet you. He loves you right where you are, just like you are, but he calls you to follow him. And so here's the big idea today. Jesus invites us to lose whatever is holding us back from following him so we can gain eternal life. Lose whatever you got to let go of, whatever baggage you're carrying, whatever distraction there is in your life, whatever temptation there is in your life, Jesus invites you to let it go so you can fully follow him and gain eternal life. Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly and he invites you and me into that. Now I want to give you a few observations from this story and this is really all about how Jesus gets us. Okay, I want to invite you to take some notes today. Here's the first one, number one. Good news, Jesus loves you rather than judging you. Jesus loves you rather than judging you. Look at verse 21 again. It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. I love Mark's version of this story. As I said before, it's in the gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But I love, I love that observation that Mark includes. In most sermons that I've heard throughout my life, about the rich young ruler, they really only make him out to be a bad guy. You know, he kind of becomes this puppet, this character, like he's this rich young ruler. He was stuck up. He was religious. He thought he had it all together. He couldn't do what Jesus asked him to do. Like for any of us, if Jesus asked us to give away everything in our bank account, it would just be so easy for us to do that. Right? <laughs> and that's kind of like the, the traditional sermon I've heard. And don't get me wrong, he's not somebody we want to emulate, but I think sometimes we reduce this guy down to simply being a bad guy. But here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus looks at this man. He sees his sincerity. He sees his striving to be right with God. Jesus knows every sin that this man has ever sinned. Jesus knows everything that he lacks, and he didn't judge him. Instead, he looks at him with love and compassion. So many preachers who I've heard preach this story, they, they don't like Mark's version of that because they don't know what to do with it. But let me just tell you, I am so thankful for a Jesus who looks at me in my sinfulness, in my brokenness, with all of my imperfections, and he loves me past it. He sees something in me, and he looks at you, and he looks at me, and, and he loves us. Can I just encourage you today? You might be in this place today, and you say, Pastor Jeremy, you don't know what I've done. Pastor Jeremy, you don't know my past. Pastor Jeremy, you don't know what, you know, what I did even, even this week. And sometimes we come to church and we feel that, don't we? Am I preaching to anybody who ever feels like me? You come into church and like the enemy begins to remind you of every bad decision you made that week, every moment where you sinned or gave into temptation and messed up. You ever notice that the devil will never remind you of when you read your Bible or listened to worship music or did something good or blessed somebody? What he'll do is remind you of how you fell short. Anybody with me today? And I have thoughts like that sometimes when, when I'm in church. But here, here's the good thing. Jesus looks at you with all of your sinfulness, all of your imperfections, and he looks at you with compassion and he loves you instead of judging you. But because Jesus loves him, he directly challenges him. And that brings us to point number two, and that is Jesus sees what's holding you back. Jesus sees what's holding you back from fully following him. See, what's fascinating is that Jesus tells the man to keep the Ten Commandments. Now, Jesus is just brilliant here, okay? This is so fun because Jesus pulls like a Jedi mind trick on this guy. Like, Jesus is sneaky sometimes. How many of you know he's a sneaky Jesus? He's amazing. 
Oh, he's fun. You just got to pay attention sometimes. So let me show you something that Jesus does, okay? This guy says, what do I have to do to, to gain eternal life? And Jesus surprises us because he, he tells him to go keep the commandments, right? We would think he would say, what well, is by grace you have been saved? He doesn't say that. He says, go keep the 10 commandments. And what does he do? He lists five of the latter half of the 10 commandments. So the, the 10 commandments are divided into kind of two sections. The first four are about how you relate to God. And this, the, the second part, the, the other six are about how you relate to people. Things like don't steal, don't kill people, don't commit adultery, all of those things, okay? And so Jesus lists five of the six. And the guy says, yeah, I've kept all of those. But Jesus is brilliant and sneaky because he leaves one out. And what's the one that he leaves out? He leaves out number 10, thou shalt not covet. And what does it mean to covet? To covet is to crave something that belongs to someone else. See, Jesus knows this guy, he's got a problem with greed. He's got a problem with greed. And this is Jesus's indirect way of calling it out. The guy says, yeah, I've kept all of those. And he goes, great, there's only one thing you lack. Look at verse 21. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Boom. And he exposes the one thing that this guy is struggling with. There weren't a lot of wealthy people back then. Perhaps Jesus knew his reputation. He's the son of God. He looked right into his heart. Jesus knew what was holding him back. And for him, it was money. And the reality is that's true for so many of us in, in this room, you know, Jesus talked more about money than almost anything else. Why is that? Because he knew that money is the number one thing that will compete with God for your heart, for first place in your heart. Don't get quiet on me today because money will promise you security and position and significance and purpose. And those are all the things that God promises to you as well. And here's the thing. It seems like when you've got money, you've got all those things. But the problem is if you lose money, you lose all of those things. And God promises those things to you. And in his kingdom, they can't be taken away from you. And so he's, he knows the one thing that every one of us lacks. And so the question is, what is it for you? For some of you, it might be money. For some of you, you might be caught up in materialism and worried about all of those things. We're living in a culture where we're, we're swimming in a culture that so preaches to us all the time that the more stuff we have, the happier we're going to be. But what is it for you? Maybe it's a relationship that's not God-honoring, that's, that's holding you back from fully following Jesus. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a, a secret sin, some self-destructive habit that's, that's keeping you from following Jesus. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe God would say to you, I can't fully forgive you because your heart is clogged with unforgiveness toward others and you gotta let that go. You know what I think it is for most of us? It's just distractions. Just distractions. We're just too busy in our busy little lives, running around doing things nonstop. Too many notifications, too many emails, too many texts, too much work, too many hobbies, all of these things. And God says, I couldn't get through to you in the midst of your Netflix, in the midst of your notifications, and all those things. You couldn't even hear my voice if I spoke to you audibly because there's too much noise and busyness in your life. And Jesus looks at us and he loves us, but he sees the one thing in all of our hearts that's holding us back from fully following him. And here's the thing I'm thankful for. There are times when God will show you that. There are times like Sunday morning, you're not here by accident today. There are times when the Holy Spirit will begin to reveal something in your heart that's holding you back 
from following Jesus. And when you see it, drop it like a bad habit. Let go of it and fully follow him. I picture somebody running through the airport, dragging a big suitcase. You ever been late for a flight before and you're dragging this big suitcase and you're thinking, if I could just let go of this, I could get to that flight a lot faster, right? That's the picture. Whatever it is that's holding you back, that's weighing you down, that's distracting you, let go of it so you can fully follow Jesus. There will be times when the Holy Spirit will whisper to you and show you what you got to let go of. Here's the beautiful thing. He loves you as you are, but he doesn't leave you where you are. He calls you to follow him, but in following him, we got to let go of whatever it is that's holding us back. And that brings us to point number three. Jesus invites us to let go of whatever we're holding on to and to follow him. Everybody say, follow him, to follow him. Look at verse 21 again. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. He says, come follow me. Don't just accept me as as your savior. Don't just pray this prayer, but follow me. I want to remind you that the essence of being a a Christian is not just to be religious. It's not just that you joined a church. It's to be a follower of Jesus Christ to follow him with your whole life. That's, that's the essence of life in the kingdom of God. And so he invites us to let go of whatever we're holding on to. And then he says, come follow me. He says to this man, let go of your riches. Let go of what's weighing you down. You will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, I want to give you three sub points here because I want to talk to you about what we need to let go of in order to follow Jesus. Let me end by giving you three things that we need to let go of in order to more fully follow Jesus. Here's the first thing you need to let go of. Let go of your religious approach to God. Can I just encourage you to let go of your religious approach to God? What do I mean by that? Well, I think that's the tendency to believe that we can earn God's approval. The tendency to believe that we can earn God's acceptance, God's favor, that we can do enough good things to be in God's good standing. We got to let go of that. I, I think the rich young ruler, he does represent the religious approach to God. I don't think that's all he is, but I definitely think that was part of what held him back from following Jesus. The religious mindset says, I am because of what I do. The, the, the gospel approach, the, 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 the grace of God approach says, I do because of who I am. I do for God because of who I am. He loved me. He saved me. He made me his son. He made me his daughter. He made me his child. So everything I do, I can serve. I can pray. I can give. I can love because of who I am. Religion gets that the opposite way. Religion says, no, no, no. I am because of what I do. I'm a Christian because of all the good things that I do because of my church attendance and because I give in the offering and because I rescue cats out of trees and walk little old ladies across the street and all those good things lighten up a little bit. <laughs> it always asks first, what must I do? What's the bottom line? The religious approach to God starts with me and what I can do to please God. And we can judge the rich young ruler and call him religious, but I think we all have a tendency to drift toward that, to approach God this way. Sometimes I conceive of it this way. It's almost like sometimes we think we have a heavenly bank account up there where we're storing up our credits with God. I think we subconsciously perceive of it, think of it being this way. And on our good days, you know, the days where you get up and you read your Bible, spend a few minutes in prayer, maybe listen to some worship music and you get along with people and you have a pretty good day. Like we tend to think, oh, I've got a little credit up in heaven. I've made a deposit into my heavenly bank account today. 
<laughs> and then we have the bad days, right? Where parents, you lose your patience with your, with your kids or you curse somebody out in traffic or you get into an altercation with a coworker and you give somebody a piece of your mind and all of a sudden you recognize you've made a debit from your little bank account up in heaven and some of y'all have overdrawn your accounts. I'm just saying, some of you, you've bounced some checks in the bank of heaven and we can laugh at it, but in all seriousness, don't, aren't we tempted to believe that on our good days, God loves us more. And on our bad days, he loves us and accepts us a little bit less. Don't we drift toward that? Isn't that just kind of part of our human nature? The reality is the rich young ruler with all that he had going on, all of his accomplishments, all of his perfect obedience to the law, all of his wealth and his dignity and his status, he still came lacking. He came to Jesus and said, what's the one thing I lack? And guess what? Jesus answered. He knew what he was lacking. And here's the reality for you and for me. We all come to Jesus lacking. We all come to him lacking. Let me just tell you, there is no bank account in heaven. There is nothing that we have contributed. We have not contributed to our salvation. There's nothing that we, we've done. It's by his grace, by his mercy, by his love, by the cross of Jesus Christ. That's how we have favor with God. Every one of us, you got to get this. I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus. I don't care how many Christian books you've read. I don't care how many memory verses you can quote. Okay, I don't care how much worship music you listen to on Spotify during the week. We all come to Jesus lacking in need of his grace. We all do. And so we have to let go of the religious mindset. And Jesus tells him, well, here's the reality. Here's what the rich young ruler failed to understand, that God's favor is not compensation to the deserving, but grace to the undeserving. Come on, God doesn't pay out compensation to us for our good works. That's not how it works. God's favor is not compensation to the deserving, but grace to the undeserving. And here's the reality. Every one of us is undeserving of the grace of God. He gives it to us freely And so Jesus tells him, go sell everything you have. This is is the thing that's holding you back. Give to the poor and you'll receive treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Instead of being under the law, Jesus invites the rich young ruler to submit to his lordship. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, everything that you've been striving to fulfill in your life, the commandments and the Torah and all the laws of God that you've been striving to observe, standing right here in front of you, I'm the perfect fulfillment of everything you've strived for. Now come, follow me. Place yourself under my lordship. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He was moving his people into a new covenant and he gave this guy a chance to get in early, like front row seat, like you know, VIP access into what he was doing. And the guy missed it. He, he couldn't understand what Jesus was doing. Jesus called the rich young ruler to, to repentance in a sense. To repent is to turn from whatever path you're on and to follow Jesus. That, that's the word picture in repentance. And so he essentially says, look, you've been walking down the path of fulfilling the law. Good job. But one thing you like, and you haven't, you haven't done it perfectly because the, the 10th commandment's a real problem for you, but I'm going to give you a new way. Come, come follow me. And this guy couldn't accept the fact that he was lost. How could he? His life was so good. He had so many things to point to that affirmed and validated his accomplishments and his religious mindset kept him from the gift of the kingdom of God. We've got to let go of that religious approach to God and recognize it's by his grace. It's by his, his grace, right? I'm not a Christian because of what I do. I, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not a Christian because of anything that I do, but I do because of who I am, because I'm a son, because I'm a daughter, accepted by his grace. Here's the second thing we've got to let go of. We've got some baggage to let go of. Number two, let go of your need for a second opinion. Let go of your need for a second opinion. Now, some commentators tell us that the rich young ruler 
may have gone off to seek a second opinion after he was disappointed by Jesus. And I think that's a fascinating idea. There were lots of rabbis around during this time. If he didn't like the answer he got from Jesus, maybe he left to go get an answer from someone else. (laughs) Maybe he left to go get a second opinion. How many have ever gone to someone for a second opinion before? You know, you went to a doctor and you got a diagnosis and you weren't so sure about it and you thought, I'm going to go see another doctor and get a second opinion. Get a second opinion. Uh, Maybe you went to a financial advisor and you just didn't feel so good. You didn't have peace about their advice. You thought, I'm going to get a second opinion. Maybe you went to a real estate agent to have your house, you know, appraised. I want to know what my house is worth. And they gave you a number. And of course, we all think our houses are worth more than that. So you went to go get a second opinion. You want somebody to tell you what you want to hear. Give me a second opinion. Ladies, you went out on a date with a guy and your friend set you up with him and they told you how great he was. And after the first one, you're like, I don't know. I might need a second opinion. I might need a second opinion. And I wonder if sometimes we go to Jesus with questions on our heart, with a sense of of needing direction, like, what must I do in this situation? Praying about something, seeking something, and we go to Jesus, and he speaks to us through his word, through another believer, through a sermon, through the still, small voice, and the whisper of the Holy Spirit, and we hear his voice, but we choose to go get a second opinion. I wonder if there are times when we turn to go get a second opinion, to go follow our own way. Let me tell you something. I see this happen all the time. I have people who come to me, pastor, help me out. Rabbi, help me. What must I do? People come to see me. And, and, you know, I'm not Jesus. I might get it wrong every now and then. But for the most part, I try to give, I try to give wisdom that's based in the truth of scripture. Hello, it's not thus saith Pastor Jeremy. I'm going to take you to the word of God and give the best answer I can give to you based on scripture, based on prayer. And I have people who come to me every now and then for advice. And I begin to give advice to them lovingly because I want the best for them based on the word of God. And I can already see the wheels turning in their head. I'm gonna go get a second opinion. I think I need a second opinion. Stop having sex with your girlfriend. I need a second opinion. I'm struggling with greed. Start giving in the offering. I need a second opinion. Hello? I need a second opinion. I need a second opinion. And and I wonder if if we have been like that at times, if we've been tempted to leave, to walk away from the voice of God and, and go seek someone else's opinion, the opinion of a friend, the opinion of the prevailing wisdom of culture. And maybe we got the results we got because we didn't listen to the voice of God. And let me just tell you today, we have to get to the point, church, where we become resolute. Like I'm following Jesus. I'm tuned into his voice. I'm going to do whatever he says. There's no second opinion. There's only one opinion, the opinion of the Son of God. I'm dialed into his voice. I'm following his ways. I'm submitting to his will. When my will doesn't line up with his will, I choose his will. When my ways don't line up with his ways, I choose his ways. When his way is different than the prevailing ways of this culture, Jesus, I choose you. I'm following you. I'm following you. I think that's what we need. We just have to become so resolute. No second opinions. And if I end up looking like a fool by the standards of this culture, I'd rather look like a a fool than follow the ways of this fallen world. I'd rather be right with God and wrong with everybody else around me because I'm resolute in following you, Jesus. Here's the third thing we have to let go of. Let go of anything that's competing for your heart. Come on, if, if, if we got some baggage, if we got some heavy stuff, if there's some things that are holding us back, what do we need to let go of to more fully follow Jesus? We got to let go of anything that's competing for our hearts. See, Jesus calls the rich young ruler to exchange the God of wealth for the one true God. 
That's what he basically does. He understood that for this man, his wealth had become to him a god. It had become to him an idol. And so he invites him to make an exchange. And here's the reality. Anything that takes the place of God, that competes for number one, the number one position in, in your heart is an idol for you. Everybody's worshiping something. We live in a, we live in a, a culture in, a, in this New York City area where there are so many people who don't consider themselves to be religious. So many people don't identify with organized religion, right? Don't consider themselves religious, but everybody's worshiping something. For some people, it's money, it's sex, it's status, it's, it's power, it's, you know, it's their career, whatever. Everybody is worshiping something. Something is always competing for your heart. And man, when the Holy Spirit gives you moments to see it, choose to follow Jesus. Choose to come back to your, your first love, to love God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. I'm so thankful when we have these encounters with Jesus where he helps us see what's in our hearts. This message has been preaching on me all week because that's what happens when we have an encounter with Jesus. He looks inside of our hearts and he knows the things that are competing for that number one place. And so this, this rich young ruler, this young man, he comes to Jesus seeking eternal life. He seeks out this great teacher, this great rabbi, this great prophet, not knowing he's the son of God. And he leaves disappointed because Jesus asked him to do what was impossible, to give up his wealth, to give up everything that he had invested his life in, everything that in his mind made him significant. And in his culture, this was more than just giving up his money. This was giving up his standing, his reputation. This was giving up the evidence that he was one of the righteous and blessed. Like there is a religious connotation to this. Like he was, he was asked to give up. If there was anything that he was holding on to, that was proof that when God's kingdom was fully established in the age to come, that he was in, everything he had invested his life in was evidence and proof in his culture. And Jesus said, let go of all of that. Let go of all that and come follow me and you will have eternal life. Here's the thing. Jesus answered his question. Jesus gave him the one thing he was lacking and he couldn't do it. And the truth is that none of us can do it in our own ability. None of us can do it on our own. None, none of us can do what God has called us to do. Have you read the Sermon on the Mount? Somebody hits you, turn the other cheek. How are you doing with that one? Love, <laughs> this is New York, hello. <laughs> Love your enemies, right? Bless those who curse you. See, what Jesus had asked this man to do was impossible on his own. If the rich young ruler had only fallen at Jesus' feet and said, Jesus, I can't do what you're asking me to do. Save me. It's at that point that Jesus could have saved him. It's at that point that Jesus could have said, I know you can't do it on your own, but come follow me and I'll give you the ability to do it. I'll change you from the inside out. I'll fill you with my Holy Spirit. You'll get an infusion in this future hope that you're hoping for. You'll, you'll get an infusion of life and life more abundantly here in the present. I'll give you the ability to do it. It always hits me when I read this story because he was so close I read him as so sincere. He was somebody who was right there. He had strived to be right with God, but in the end, Jesus asked him to do something he could not do on his own. And all he had to do was fall on his knees. Say, Jesus, save me. And that's what he does for us. If we come to the point of saying, God, I can't do it. You and me, sinners like you and me, if we come to the point of saying, God, I can't do everything you've asked me to do, 
But Jesus, I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting that you can give me the ability to do it. If you fall on your knees and you cry out to him, I believe Jesus will say, I can meet you there. I can meet you there. I can work with a heart like that. Let me leave you with this quote from the great writer, Phil Yancey. He said, there's only one way for any of us to resolve the tension between the high ideals of the gospel and the grim reality of ourselves, to accept that we will never measure up, but we do not have to. We are judged by the righteousness of the Christ who lives within, not our own. Oh, aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for that? When we read the words of Jesus and we feel like we could never live up to it at times, the reality is it's not because of us, it's the Christ in us. It's the Christ in you. We who are sinners, we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because he who, he who was perfect took on our sin, became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Let me just tell you today, church, he gets you. He gets you. He gets us. Like Jesus gets our deepest desire to be right with God. He looks at us and he loves us. I'm so thankful that Jesus looks past all of my faults, all of my sinfulness, and he loves me and he loves you and he invites us to lose whatever we have to lose to more fully follow him so that we can gain eternal life. He meets you where you are. Listen to me. He meets you where you are. Whether this is your home church, whether this is your first time in church in a long time, he meets you where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. And he calls you to follow him, calls you to follow him. And when it seems impossible, we trust in his grace. And here's how we know it's possible. Do you know what Jesus said to his disciples a few verses later? They, their minds were blown. They're like, oh my gosh, if a guy like this can't make it, somebody who has so much favor, the obvious favor of God is on his life. If he can't become a follower of Jesus, like, is there any chance for the rest of us? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. With man, it's impossible. But he said, he said, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Come on, with you and me, with our efforts, it's impossible. With our striving, it's impossible. With our weaknesses, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible by his grace, by his mercy, by his love. And so here's what I wanted to do. I want to take a moment to pray together. I want you just to stay seated for just a moment. Stay right there. Just bow your head, bow your hearts in the presence of God today. In just a moment, we're going to receive communion. But I want to invite you in this moment to open your heart and just entertain one question, you and the Holy Spirit. Here it is. What's holding you back? What's holding you back from more fully following Jesus? Come on, what's, what's the one thing you lack? Today, you and me, like this young man, we have an opportunity to meet with Jesus. He set up a divine appointment for you today to meet him in person, online today, to hear his voice. And our question is, Lord, what's the one thing I lack? And Jesus sees it. He sees inside of our hearts. And he doesn't condemn us. He doesn't judge us. But he'll answer that question. And I'll call you to follow him. Can you just have an honest moment in God's presence? Maybe it's an area of temptation. Maybe it's a sinful pattern. Maybe it's greed. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's just the distractions of this life. We've been running in a hundred different directions and God couldn't get on our agenda if he wanted to. And today, 
we have the chance to put God back as number one in our hearts, to love you, God, all of my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, to love my neighbor as myself, to make you number one. And so, Father, we thank you for your word today. Jesus, we thank you that we've had this opportunity to meet with you today. We thank you that you look at us, every person in this place, and you look past our faults, you look past our sins, and you love us, and you have compassion on us. And today you are calling us to follow you, calling us to follow you. And today we want to do that. We want to respond. We let go of our religiosity. We let go of the belief that we bring anything to the equation and we recognize that we come lacking. God, we let go of the need to have a second opinion, to run to anybody else. And today we become resolute to follow you, Jesus, not just to be called a Christian, but to follow you with every area of our lives, to tune into your voice above every other voice, to let go of anything today. Would you just name it? God, I let go of whatever that thing is. Go ahead, speak it out under your breath. There's power, there's power in that. Lord, I let go of whatever it is to follow you. Father, I thank you. You will give every person in this place grace. With us, it's impossible. But God, we thank you that with God, with you, all things are possible and you will give us the grace to do it. And now, Father, as we're praying, I want to pray for the person today who would say, Pastor Jeremy, I want to follow Jesus. I want to, I want to know God that way, but God feels a million miles away. I've done so much. It's been so long. He feels so distant. I'd love to have that relationship with him, but I I don't even know where to start. I want to tell you that you're you're not here by an accident today. And the tug that you feel in your heart is God drawing you to himself. Today, you are meeting with Jesus and he's inviting you, just like the young man, to follow him, to follow him. And it starts with saying, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. Come on, if that's you today, I want to invite you to pray with me in person, online. Jesus, I want to follow you for the first time, for the hundredth time. Jesus, I'm recommitting my life to you. I'm giving my heart to you today. I want to follow you, not just to pray a prayer, but I want to give my whole life to you. I believe you are who you said you are, not just a rabbi, not just a teacher, pray this with me, but you are the son of God. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. We are confessing it with our mouths today. And I believe that you lived a perfect life on my behalf. Pray this with me. I believe you went to the cross to pay for my sins. You were resurrected to give me new life. And I turn from my sins and I follow you. I give my life to you, Jesus. Father, I bless every person who prayed that prayer today. I thank you, Father, for your grace. With us, it's impossible, but with you, all things are possible. And you will give them the grace by the power of your Holy Spirit to follow you, God, to love you with everything in their being. Every person in this place who prayed that prayer today, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.